Book One, Chapter Four of Arachne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kainde. Arachne by George Ebers. Translated by Mary J. Stafford. Chapter Four. This reserved, thoroughly self-reliant creature would never have betrayed to any human being what moved her soul, and filled it sometimes with inspiring hope, sometimes with a consuming desire for vengeance. But Ledscha did not shrink from confiding it to the demons who were to help her to regain her composure. So, obeying a swift impulse, she threw herself on her knees by the old woman's side, then, supporting her head with her hands, she gazed at the still glimmering fire, and, as if one memory after another received new life from it, she began the difficult confession. "'I returned from my sister's Bricklin a fortnight ago,' she commenced, while the sorceress leaned her deaf ear nearer to her lips. "'During my absence something—I know not what it was— had saddened the cheerful spirits of my young sister, Teos. At the recent festival of Astarte, she regained them, and obtained some beautiful bright flowers to make wreaths for herself and me. So we joined the procession of the Tennis maidens, and, as the fairest, they placed us directly behind the daughters of Hiram. When we were about to go home after the sacrifice, Two young Greeks approached us and greeted Hiram's daughters, and my sister also. One was a quiet young man, with narrow shoulders and light curling hair. The other towered above him in stature. His powerful figure was magnificently formed, and he carried his head with its splendid black beard proudly. Since the gods snatched Abbas from me, though so many men had wooed me, I had cared for no one. But the fair-haired Greek, with the sparkling light in his blue eyes, and the faint flush on his cheeks, pleased me, and his name, Myrtilus, fell upon my ear like music. I was glad when he joined me and asked, as simply as though he were merely inquiring the way, why he had never seen me, the loveliest among the beauties in the temple, in Tennis. I scarcely noticed the other— Besides, he seemed to have eyes only for Teus and the daughters of Hiram. He played all sorts of pranks with them, and they laughed so heartily that, fearing the strangers, of whom there was no lack, might class them with the Hyrodely who followed the sailors and young men in the temple grottoes, I motioned to Teus to restrain herself. Hermon, this was the name of the tall bearded man, noticed it and turned toward me. In doing so his eyes met mine, and it seemed as though sweet wine flowed through my veins, for I perceived that my appearance paralyzed his reckless tongue. Yet he did not accost me, but Myrtilus, the fair one, entreated me not to lessen for the beautiful children the pleasure to which we are all born. I thought this remark foolish. How much sorrow and how little pleasure I had experienced from childhood— so I only shrugged my shoulders disdainfully. Then the black-bearded man asked if, 
young and beautiful as I was, I had forgotten to believe in mirth and joy. My reply was intended to tell him that, though this was not the case, I did not belong to those who spent their lives in loud laughing and extravagant jests. The answer was aimed at the black-bearded man's reckless conduct, but the fair-haired one parried the attack in his stead, and retorted that I seemed to misunderstand his friend. Pleasure belonged to a festival, as light belonged to the sun, but usually Hermann labored earnestly, and only a short time before he had saved the little daughter of Gula, the sailor's wife, from a burning house. The other did not let Myrtilus finish, but exclaimed that this would only confirm my opinion of him, for this very leap into the flames had afforded him the utmost joy. The words fell from his bearded lips as if the affair was very simple, a mere matter of course, yet I knew that the bold deed had nearly cost him his life. I said to myself that no one but our abbess would have done it, and then I may have looked at him more kindly, for he cried out that I, too, understood how to smile, and would never cease doing so if I knew how it became me. As he spoke, he turned away from the girls to my side, while Myrtilus joined them. Hermann's handsome face had become grave and thoughtful, and when our eyes met I could have wished that they would never part again. But on account of the others I soon looked down at the ground, and we walked on in this way, side by side, for some distance, but as he did not address a word to me, only sometimes gazed into my face, as if seeking or examining, I grew vexed, and asked why he, who had just entertained the others gaily enough, had suddenly become so silent. He shook his head and answered, every word impressed itself firmly upon my memory. Because speech fails, even the eloquent, when confronted with a miracle. What, except me and my beauty, could be meant by that? But he probably perceived how strangely his words confused me, for he suddenly seized my hand, pressing it so firmly that it hurt me, and while I tried to withdraw it he whispered, How the immortals must love you, that they lend you so large a share of their own divine beauty. Greek honey, interposed the sorceress, but strong enough to turn such a poor young head. And what more happened? The demons desire to hear all, all, down to the last detail, all. The last detail, repeated Letzcha, reluctantly, gazing into vacancy as if seeking aid. Then pressing her hand on her brow, she indignantly exclaimed, Ah, if I only knew myself how it conquered me so quickly! If I could understand and put it into intelligible words, I should need no stranger's counsel to regain my peace of mind. But as it is, I was driven by my anxiety from temple to temple and now to you and your demons. I went from hour to hour as though in a burning fever, if I left the house firmly resolved to bethink myself and, as I had bidden my sister, avoid danger and the gossip of the people. My feet still led me only where he desired to meet me. Oh, and how well he understood how to flatter, to describe my beauty. Surely it was impossible not to believe in it and trust its power. Here she hesitated, and while gazing silently into vacancy a sunny light flitted over her grave face, and, drawing a long breath, she began again. I could curse those days of weakness and ecstasy which now, at least I hope so, are over. 
yet they were wonderfully beautiful, and never can I forget them. Here she again bowed her head silently, but the old dame nodded encouragingly, saying eagerly, "'Well, well, I understand all that, and I shall learn what more is coming, for whatever appears in the mirror of the wine is infallible. But it must become still more distinct. Let me first conjure up the seventy-seven great and the seven hundred and seventy-seven little demons. They will do their duty, if you open your heart to us without reserve.' This demand sounded urgent enough, and Letzcha pressed her head against the old woman's shoulder, as if seeking assistance, exclaiming, "'I cannot, no, I cannot!' As if the spirits who obey you did not know already what had happened and will happen in the future. Let them search the depths of my soul. There they will see with their own eyes what I should never, never succeed in describing. I could not tell even you, grandmother, for who among the Beamites ever found such lofty, heart-bewitching words as Hermann? And what looks, what language he had at command, when he desired to put an end to my jealous complaints? Could I still be angry with him, when he confessed that there were other beauties here whom he admired, and then gazed deep into my eyes, and said that when I appeared they all vanished like the stars at sunrise? Then every reproach was forgotten, and resentment was transformed into doubly ardent longing. This, however, by no means escaped his clean glance, which detects everything. And so he urged me with touching, ardent entreaties to go with him to his studio, though, but for one poor brief hour. And he granted his wish, Tabus anxiously interrupted. Yes, she answered frankly, but it was the evening of the day before yesterday. That was the only time. Secrecy nothing grandmother was more hateful to me from childhood but he the old woman again interrupted he i know it he praised it to you as the noblest virtue a silent nod from ledscha confirmed this conjecture and she added hesitatingly only far from the haunts of men he said when the light had vanished did we hear the nightingale trill in the dark thickets those are his own words and though it angers you, grandmother, they are true. Until the secrecy is over, and the sun shines upon misery, the sorceress answered in her faltering speech with menacing severity. And beneath the tempter's roof you enjoy the lauded secret love until the cock roused you. No, replied Ledscha firmly, did I ever tell you a lie, that you look at me so incredulously? incredulously replied the old woman in protest i only trembled at the danger into which you plunged there could be no greater peril the girl admitted i foresaw it clearly enough and yet this is the most terrible part of it yet my feet moved as if obeying a will of their own instead of mine and when i crossed his threshold resistance was silenced for i was received like a princess the lofty spacious apartment was brilliantly illuminated, and the door was garlanded with flowers. It was magnificent. Then, in a manner as respectful as if welcoming an illustrious guest, he invited me to take my place opposite to him, that he might form a goddess after my model. This was the highest flattery of all, and I willingly assumed the position he directed, 
but he looked at me from every side with sparkling eyes, and asked me to let down my hair and remove the veil from the back of my head. Then, need I assure you of it, my blood boiled with righteous indignation, but instead of being ashamed of the outrage, he raised his hand to my head and pulled the veil. Resentment and wrath suddenly flamed in my soul, and before he could detain me I had left the room. In spite of his representations and entreaties, I did not enter it again. Yet, asked the sorceress in perplexity, you once more obeyed his summons. Yesterday, also, I could not help it, Letzcha answered softly. Fool! cried Tabus indignantly, but the girl exclaimed in a tone of sincere shame. You do well to call me that. Perhaps I deserve still harsher names, for, in spite of the sternness with which I forbade him ever to remind me of the studio by even a single word, I soon listened to him willingly when he besought me, if I really loved him, not to refuse what would make him happy. If I allowed him to model my figure, his renown and greatness would be secured. And how clearly he made me understand this, I could not help believing it, and at last promised that, in spite of my father and the women of Tennis, I would grant all, all, and accompany him again to the workroom if he would have patience until the night of the next day, but one, when the moon would be at the full. And he? asked Tabus anxiously. He called the brief hours which I required him to wait an eternity, replied the girl, and they seemed no less long to me, but neither entreaties nor urgency availed. What you predicted for me from the cords last year strengthened my courage. I should wantonly throw away. I constantly reminded myself, whatever great good fortune fate destined for me if I yielded to my longing, and took prematurely what was already so close at hand, for, do you remember, at that time it was promised that on a night when the moon was at the full a new period of the utmost happiness would begin for me. And now— unless everything deceives me, now it awaits me, whether it will come with the full moon of to-morrow night, or the next, or the following one, your spirits alone can know, but yesterday was surely too soon to expect the new happiness. And he? asked the old dame. He certainly did not make it easy for me, was the reply, but as I remained firm, he was obliged to yield, I granted only his earnest desire to see me again this evening. I fancy I can still hear him exclaim, with loving impetuosity, that he hated every day and every night which kept him from me. And now, now, for another's sake he lets me wait for him in vain, and if his slave does not lie, this is only the beginning of his infamous treacherous game." She had uttered the last words in a hoarse cry, but Tabus answered soothingly, "'Hush, child, hush. The first thing is to see clearly, if I am to interpret correctly what is shown me here. The demons are to be fully informed they have required it. But you, did you come to hear whether the spirits still intend to keep the promise they made then?' Letzja eagerly assented to this question, and the old woman continued urgently, then tell me first what suddenly incenses you so violently against the man whom you have so highly praised. 
The girl related what had formerly been rumored in Tennis, and which she had just heard from the slave. He had lured other women, even her innocent young sister, to his studio. Now he wanted to induce Letcha to go there, not from love, but merely to model her limbs so far as he considered them useful for his work. He was in haste to do so, because he intended to return to the capital immediately. Whether he meant to leave her in the lurch after using her for his selfish purposes, she also desired to learn from the sorceress. But she would ask him that question herself to-morrow. Woe betide him if the spirits recognized in him the deceiver she now believed him. Hitherto Tabus had listened quietly, but when she closed her passionate threats with the exclamation that he also deserved punishment for alienating Gula, the sailor's wife, from her absent husband, the enchantress also lost her composure and cried out angrily, "'If that is true, if the Greek really committed that crime, then certainly the foreigners destroy, with their laughing levity, much that is good among us. We must endure it, but whoever broke the Beamite's marriage bond from the earliest times forfeited his life, and so, the gods be thanked, it has remained. This very last year the fisherman, Fabus, killed with a hammer the Alexandrian clerk who had stolen into his house and drowned his faithless wife. But your lover, though you should weep for sorrow till your eyes are red. I would denounce the traitor if he made himself worthy of death. Letzcha passionately interrupted with flashing eyes. What portion of the slave's charge is true will appear at once, and if it proves correct, to-morrow's full moon shall indeed bring me the greatest bliss. For though, when I was younger and happier, I contradicted Abbas when he declared that one thing surpassed even the raptures of love, satisfied vengeance, now I would agree with him. A loud cry of, Right! Right! from the old crone's lips expressed the grey-haired Beamite's pleasure in this worthy daughter of her race. Then she again gazed at the wine in the vessel, and this time she did so silently as if spellbound by the mirror on its bottom. At last, raising her aged head, she said in a tone of the most sincere compassion, "'Poor child, yes, you would be cruelly and shamefully deceived.' tear your love for this man from your heart like poisonous hemlock. But the full moon which is to bring you great happiness is scarcely the next, perhaps not even the one which follows it, but surely and certainly a later one will rise, by whose light the utmost bliss awaits you. True, I see it come from another man than the Greek. The girl had listened with panting breath. She believed as firmly in the infallibility of the knowledge which the witch received from the demons who obeyed her as she did in her own existence. All her happiness, all that had filled her joyous soul with freshly awakened hopes, now lay shattered at her feet, and, sobbing aloud, she threw herself down beside the old woman and buried her beautiful face in her lap. Completely overwhelmed by the great misfortune which had come upon her, without thinking of the vengeance which had just made her hold her head so proudly erect, or the rare delight which a later full moon was to bring, she remained motionless, while the old woman, who loved her, 
and who remembered an hour in the distant past when she herself had been dissolved in tears at the prediction of another prophetess, laid her trembling hand upon her head. Let the child weep her fill. Time, perhaps, vengeance also, cured many a heartache, and when they had accomplished this office upon the girl who had once been betrothed to her grandson, perhaps the full moon bringing happiness, whose appearance first the cords, then the wine-mirror in the bottom of the vessel had predicted, would come to Letzja, and she believed she knew at whose side the girl could regain what she had twice lost, satisfaction for the young heart that yearned for love. "'Only wait, wait!' she cried at last, repeating the consoling words again and again, till Letzja raised her tear-stained face. Impulse urged her to kiss the sufferer, but as she bent over the mourner, the copper dish slipped from her knees and fell rattling on the floor. Letzja started up in terror, and at the same moment the Alexandrian packs of hounds on the shore opposite to the owl's nest began to bark so loudly that the deaf old woman heard the baying as if it came from a great distance, but the girl ran out into the open air and, returning at the end of a few minutes, called joyously to the sorceress from the threshold, "'They are coming!' "'They, they,' faltered Tabus, hurriedly pushing her disordered grey hair under the veil on the back of her head, while exclaiming, scarcely able to use her voice in her joyous excitement, "'I knew it. He keeps his word. My Satabus is coming. The ducks, the bread, the fish!' girl. Good loyal heart. Then a wide, long shadow fell across the dimly lighted room, and from the darkened threshold a strangely deep, gasping peal of laughter rang from a man's broad breast. Satibus, my boy! The witch's shriek rose above the peculiar sound. Mother! answered the grey-bearded lips of the pirate. For one short moment he remained standing at the door with outstretched arms. Then he took a step toward the beloved being from whom he had been separated for more than two years, and suddenly throwing himself down before her, while his huge lower limbs covered part of the floor, he stretched his hands toward the little crooked old woman, who had not strength to rise from her crouching posture, and seizing her with loving impetuosity, lifted her as if she were a child, and placing her on his knees, drew her into a close embrace. Tavis willingly submitted to this act of violence, and passing her thin left arm around her son's bull-neck with her free hand, patted his bearded cheeks, wrinkled brow, and bushy, almost white hair. No intelligible words passed the lips of either the mother or the son at this meeting. Nothing but a confused medley of tender, and uncouth natural sounds which no language knows. Yet they understood each other, and Letzja, who had moved silently aside, also comprehended that these low laughs, moans, cries, and stammers were the expression of love of two deeply agitated hearts, and for a moment an emotion of envy seized her. The gods had early bereft her of her mother, while this savage fighter against the might of the waves, justice, law, and their pitiless, too powerful defenders, this man, already on the verge of age, still possessed his, 
and sunned his rude heart in her love. It was some time before the old pirate had satisfied his yearning for affection and placed his light burden down beside the fire. Tabus now regained the power to utter distinct words, and, difficult as it was for her half-paralyzed tongue to speak, she poured a flood of tender pet names and affectionate thanks upon the head of her rude son, the last one left, who had grown gray in bloody warfare, but with the eyes of her soul she again saw in him the little boy whom, with warm maternal love, she had once pressed to her breast and cradled in her arms. When, in his rough fashion, he warmly returned her professions of tenderness, her eyes grew wet with tears, and at the question what he could still find in her, a withered, good-for-nothing little creature, who just dragged along from one day to another, an object of pity to herself, he again burst into his mighty laugh, and his deep voice shouted, "'Do you want to know that? But where would be the lime that holds us on the ships if you were no longer here?' The best capture wouldn't be worth a drachm if we could not say, Hurrah! How pleased the old mother will be when she hears it. And when things go badly, when men have been wounded or perished in the sea, we should despair of our lives if we did not know that whatever troubles our hearts, the old mother feels too, and we shall always get from her the kind words needed to press on again. And then, when the strait is sore and life is at stake, Whence would come the courage to cast the die if we did not know that you are with us day and night, and will send your spirits to help us if the need is great? Hundreds of times they rushed to our aid just at the right time, and assisted us to hew off the hand of the foe, which is already choking us. But that is only something extra which we could do without, if necessary. That you are here, that a man still has his dear mother, whose heart wishes us everything good, and our foe's death and destruction, whose aged eyes will weep if anything harms us. That, mother dear, that is the main thing. He bent his clumsy figure over her as he spoke, and cautiously, as if he were afraid of doing her some injury, kissed her head with tender care. Then, rising, he turned to Letzcha, whom he always regarded as his dead son's betrothed bride, and greeted her with sincere kindness. Her great beauty strengthened his plan of uniting her to his oldest son, and when the latter entered the house he cast a searching glance at him. The result was favorable, for a smile of satisfaction flitted over his scarred features. The young pirate's stately figure was not inferior in height to the old one's, but his shoulders were narrower, his features less broad and full, and his hair and beard had the glossy raven hue of the blackbird's plumage. The young man paused on the threshold in embarrassment, and gazed at Letzcha with pleased surprise. When he saw her last his grandmother had not been stricken by paralysis, and the girl was the promised wife of his older brother, to whom custom forbade him to raise his eyes. He had thought of her numberless times as the most desirable of women, now nothing prevented his wooing her, and finding her far more beautiful than memory had showed her, strengthened his intention of winning her. This purpose had matured in the utmost secrecy. He had concealed it even from his father and his brother Labaja, who was still keeping watch on the ships, 
for he had a reserved disposition, and though obliged to obey his father, wherever it was possible he pursued his own way. Though Satabus shared Hanno's wish, it vexed him that, at this meeting, after so long a separation, his son should neglect his beloved and honoured mother for the sake of a beautiful girl. So, turning his back on Letzcha, he seized the young giant's shoulder with a powerful grip to drag him toward the old woman, but Hanno perceived his error, and now in brief but affectionate words showed his grandmother that he too rejoiced at seeing her again. The sorceress gazed at her grandson's stalwart figure with a pleasant smile, and, after welcoming him, exclaimed to Letzcha, "'It seems as if Abbas had risen from the grave.' The girl vouchsafed her dead lover's brother a brief glance, and, while pouring oil upon the fish in the pan, answered carelessly, "'He is a little like him.' "'Not only in person,' remarked the old pirate with fatherly pride, and pointing to the broad scar across the young man's forehead, visible even in the dim light, he added by way of explanation, "'When we took vengeance for Abus, he bore away that decoration of honour.' The blow nearly made him follow his brother, but the youth first sent the souls of half a dozen enemies to greet him in the netherworld. Then Letzcha held out her hand to Hanno, and permitted him to detain it till an ardent glance from his black eyes met hers, and she withdrew it, blushing. As she did so, she said to Tabas, "'You can put them on the fire, and there stands whatever else you need. I must go home now.' In taking leave of the men, she asked if she could hope to find them here again the next day. "'The full moon will make it damnably light,' replied the father, "'but they will scarcely venture to assail the right of asylum, and the ships anchored according to regulation at Tanis, with a cargo of wood from Sinope. Besides, for two years people have believed that we have abandoned these waters, and the guards think that if we should return, the last time to choose it would be these bright nights.' Still, I should not like to decide anything positively about the morrow until news came from Labaja. "'You will find me whatever happens,' Hanno declared after his father had ceased speaking. Old Tabas exchanged a swift glance with her son, and Satabas said, "'He is his own master. If I am obliged to go, which may happen, then, my girl, you must be content with the youth. Besides, you are better suited to him than to the grey beard. He shook his hands with Letzcha as he spoke, and Hanno accompanied her to her boat. At first he was silent, but as she was stepping into the skiff, he repeated his promise of meeting her here the following night. "'Very well,' she answered quickly. "'Perhaps I may have a commission to give you.' "'I will fulfill it,' he answered firmly. "'Tomorrow, then,' she called, "'unless something unexpected prevents.' But when, seated on the thwart, she again turned to him and asked, "'Does it need a long time to bring your ship, with brave men on board, to this place?' "'We can be here in four hours, and with favourable winds, still sooner,' was the reply. "'Even if it displeases your father?' "'Even then, and though the gods, many as there are, should forbid, if only your gratitude will be gained.' "'It will.' She answered firmly, and the water splashed lightly under the strokes of her oars. 
End of chapter 4 Read by Gainde of Botrek.com